Our Old Testament passage today picks up in 1 Samuel chapter 29, beginning with verse 1. Now the Philistines have gathered all their forces at Aphek. And remember, David is hiding with the Philistines right now. And all the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is at Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing by hundreds and by thousands, David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish. Now remember, they've been asked to be the bodyguards of the king. They've been asked to be the rear guard. And the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now days and years since he's deserted to me? I have found no fault in him to this day. Now sometimes you wonder, why would he have David be his personal bodyguard? Well, because he doesn't have to worry about the other Philistines' commanders killing him, okay, and taking over the kingship. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is this not David, of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has stuck his thousands, but David his ten thousands? Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest, and to me it seems right that you should march out with me in the campaign. For I have found nothing wrong with you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the Lord did not approve of you. So go back now and go peacefully, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? But Achish answered David and said, I know that you are blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to battle. Now then, rise early in the morning with the the servants of your Lord who came with you, and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Now, probably those Philistine commanders were pretty correct because David would not lift his hand against the king, remember? And David did not want to fight against the men of Israel. David was only going to lead those men. So you know what? The Philistine commanders were probably right. David would have turned the tide of battle in the favor of Israel. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. And they had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one but carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had also been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed. Now, why was David greatly distressed? For the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now, beloved, here's a great leadership truth that you just need to get a hold of. The leaders always
bear the emotions of defeat. Whenever the people fail, they take it out on the leaders. They had had a great failure. The men that they had left to, to defend Ziklag, their hometown, had been defeated. Their children, their wives had been taken captive. Their homes had been burned. And they blamed David and wanted to stone David. But now, wait a minute. Is that fair? David had had his home burned also. David's wives had been taken captive also. So you look at it and you go, is this fair? No. But this is, a th this is the truth you have to learn of leadership. When the people are hurting, they blame leadership. Let me say that again. When people are hurting, they blame leadership. And what you're going to have to learn to do as a leader is David strengthened himself in the Lord. Here's an incredible truth. If you're going to be a leader, you're going to have to learn to take some punches. If you're going to be a leader, you're going to have to learn to be spoken against. If you're going to be a leader, you're going to have to learn to take emotions of anger and hostility and bitterness that's focused against you. you know, th there's a reason a lot of pastors quit the ministry. And this is one of them. Rather than strengthening themselves in the Lord, they get discouraged and say, well, it's not fair that they blame me. Forget it. I'm out of here. Pastors, connect group leaders, business owners. If you're a leader, of course you get blamed because there is no one else to blame. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. And David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, Pursue them, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out, and six hundred men who were with him, and they came to the brook at Besor, where those who were left behind stayed. Now, why did they leave some behind? You'll see here in a minute. These are the ones who take care of all the supplies, okay? They took the supplies a certain distance, and then after that, there's a man, there are men left to guard the supplies, and then the others can travel faster. David pursued, he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook at Besor. Now, there's another reason to leave people behind. So the ones you leave behind to guard are the ones that are already too exhausted. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate, and they gave him water to drink. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived. You know, sometimes you got to feed people before they, before they can talk. They're just, they're just, they're, they're physically broken. For he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. David said to him, to whom do you belong and from where are you from? He said, I'm a young man of Egypt, a servant of an Amalekite. My master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We made a raid against the Negev of the Carathites and against that which belongs to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Will you take me down to this band? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you to this band. And when they had taken him down, behold, they were spread out broad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and the land of Judah. And David struck them from twilight to the evening of the next day. Wow. So they fought all night, all morning, all afternoon, all evening until twilight the next day. 
And not a man of them escaped, except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing. I like that. Nothing was missing. Whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken, David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before them, and they said, this is David's spoil. Then David came to the 200 men who were too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook of Besor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they did not go out with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. Remember that list of worthless, worthless people? Here's the attitude of a worthless person. Don't share. Don't share in victory. That's the attitude of a worthless person. And David said, you shall not do so, my brothers with what the Lord has given us. Now notice, hey, remember, this victory was given by God. He has preserved us. He has given to our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes to battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And David made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. Now, I want you to notice there is a start of a policy. There are situations that arise that you've never faced before, and you make a new policy. David made a new policy that day. He saw that there are worthless men who are going to never want to share with those who stay by the baggage, and somebody's got to stay and guard the baggage. You know, you, you can't get too far from your supply line. Now, when you read baggage, you need to understand extra food, extra water, extra uh, mules, extra military needs. I mean, all the things that you would need for resupply. One of the greatest causes of defeat of any army is their supply line is too, is too far. So these men would leave their baggage before they went into battle with men to guard the baggage. Now, it just happened these men were too tired to continue to cross that one brook. So they said, okay, we, we've got to guard the baggage. These men can stay with the baggage and guard it. So they perform a valid military function. So we started a new policy. David came to Ziklag. He sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. <laughs> It was for those in Bethel, in Ramoth, in the Negev, in Jeter, in Aror, in Shimoth, in Eshtemoi, in Rakal, in the cities of the Geromelites, in the cities of the Kenites, in Horma, in Borashan, in Achach, in Hebron, for all the places where David had roamed. Now, I want you to understand, these are protected areas. David was protected in these areas. These were people who were friendly to him. But also notice these are some of the names of the same places where these guys had gone through and stolen all of this with their raiding parties. So David says, 
let me share this back with you. We, 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 we took this back from these people who stole from you. Let us return this to you now. <laughs> David was a very, very wise leader. He could have kept it all himself, but he shared the blessings. He shared it with those who had lost everything. Did he have to? No, but he did. Chapter 31, verse 1. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain at Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malkishui, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then David said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Then Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. You know, that's one of those big question marks because you look at it and say, dude, face it like a man. I, you, you, when, when people have no hope, that's when people try to kill themselves, okay? Sometimes you have to learn to face life. He didn't want to face life. He said, these people are going to mistreat me. Maybe they will. These people will kill me. They probably will. But you still face life like a man. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. Two men who commit suicide. They had no hope. Thus Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They wanted to report to their demon gods. Amazing. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. Every time we go to Israel, we go to Bethshan one of the greatest cities in that whole area along the Jordan, if not the greatest. They fastened his body to the wall at Bashan. But when the inhabitants of Jebesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. And they came to Jebesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. They wanted to honor the bodies of their kings and their princes. Now we're gonna get more into this story tomorrow because it's not over yet. But brothers and sisters, let me just talk about this suicide thing here for a minute. Young people, please listen to me. As long as there is breath, there is hope. Face life like a man. Face life like a woman. Face life like a child of God. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I know horrible things are happening and sometimes it looks like there is no hope. But as long as there is breath, there is hope. 
These men had no hope. Saul had turned away from the living God, so he had no hope. For a Christian, I'm sorry, we don't ever give up on hope. As long as there is breath, there is hope. All right, let's worship the Lord some more.
Our New Testament passage today picks up in one of my favorite passages, not just in regular life, but it's something I always share with people in a time of grief, when a loved one has passed. John chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So Jesus prepares a place. When you get to heaven, you're not an afterthought. A place is prepared. In heaven, a place right now is being prepared for you. Right now in heaven, a place is being prepared for me. When you get to heaven, there's no overcrowding. When you get to heaven, there's no, where will we put him? When you get to heaven, there's a place prepared for you. You belong. That's your place. Now, when I first became your pastor back in 1980, for many years, I would visit my mom and dad for about 18 hours a day, 18 hours a year. That was it. I'd be passing through. I'd stop in and I'd visit them. Usually I'd come in there on a Monday uh, and 18 hours later, I was gone. The next morning I was gone. But there was always a room for me that was called Dave's room. And that room was not used for anything else. That was Dave's room. I knew I belonged. And my father was very funny about always saying, there's a place for Dave. Dave, you don't stay in a hotel. This is your room. I said, Dad, I don't want to be an inconvenience. He said, no, Dave, this is your room. There was always a place. And it meant the world to me. Because when you grow up poor, and your daddy looks at you and says, there's always a place for you. You know, he means it. Now, later that did change just a little bit. When Shasha was born. And we began to take Shasha visit to visit Lolo and Lola. You know, that room became Shah's room. <laughs> now, it was a big house on the bluff, but it was only three bedrooms. There was the big master bedroom upstairs. And then there was two downstairs bedrooms, well, three downstairs bedrooms. One of them was my mom's painting studio. One of them was my dad's office. And one of them was to be my bedroom. But when, when Shah was born, that bedroom became Shah's room. And so whenever I visited, Shah was in the bedroom and I was on the couch. <laughs> now, brothers and sisters, it meant so much to Shah. That family looked at her and said, this is your room. There's a place prepared for you. And my mama always had it all decorated for Shasha. And she had little, little dolls on the, the bed and everything. And mama always made sure Shasha knew that this was ready for her. She, she had a room ready. Now multiply that by infinity. We've all experienced this with our families. And we know the feeling that it gives us. Multiply infinity. When you get to heaven... God looks at you and says, I've had this waiting for you. It's all prepared. We belong there. We're not just a guest. This world, we're an alien in. We don't belong. This world is not our home. But in heaven, that's where we belong. 
And he said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, he said, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now, this is not the rapture. This is not the rapture. This is death. Jesus said, I will come again and take you to myself, that you may be, that where I am, you may also be. Now, beloved, I don't believe that when a person dies, you see a long tunnel of light and you kind of walk down it not knowing where to go and not knowing what's at the end of it. And, and I don't believe that when you get to heaven, the gates are closed and, you know, you have to check. They have to check whether you're allowed in. No. Lots of nice, cute little stories. When you and I die, Jesus stands there before us. He doesn't send Gabriel. He doesn't send Michael. He doesn't send a little low-rank angel. Jesus comes. And he says, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. I love that. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. And notice, the way, the truth, the life, not a way. He's not one of many alternate solutions. No one comes to the Father except through me. You don't come to the Father through a preacher. You don't come to a Father through Muhammad. You don't come to, a, to the Father through Buddha. You don't come to the Father through, through some weird religion. You, you, you come to the Father through Jesus. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the father and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Jesus said, the father and I are one. He said, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus was the exact representation of the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but he who dwells, but the Father who dwells in me does this work. Now, all of this in teaching flows from Jesus. When Paul talks about being in Christ, and Christ is in the Father. All of that, all of that beautiful teaching about being in Christ begins with Jesus. He said, The Father dwells in me and does his work. Believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. There's that beautiful teaching that Paul brings out. Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Now, beloved. That verse always makes me struggle. Now, that's not a question mark verse. Works. That's a wow verse. That means I should do greater miracles than Jesus did. I should be raising people from the dead. I've never raised anybody from the dead. I should be opening blind eyes. I've seen a few blind people heal, but just a few. I, I should be healing lepers. I've never seen anybody healed of leprosy. Brothers and sisters, we have so limited the miracle-working power of God. Folks, 
because Jesus went to the Father. We should be doing, this is the cause. The cause, greater works than these will he do. Why? Because I am going to the Father. He said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. That, that's another wow. So when we, when we stand and we begin to pray for the sick, Father, in Jesus' name, let blind eyes open. Father, in Jesus' name, let the deaf hear. Father, in Jesus' name, let COVID be broken off of these families. Father, in Jesus' name, let cancer be healed right now in Jesus' name. When we pray like this, Jesus said, this I will do, not to glorify me and you, but that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So again, it, it, it's not about me and you. It's, it's not about people looking at us. It's about the Father being glorified in the Son. Now, beloved, we, we need to take it up a step, okay? I mean, we, we need to, to step up this thing on miracles a little bit, please. I mean, every one of us, we need to step up this thing on miracles. It didn't say the preachers. It said, <laughs> whoever believes in me, whoever, 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 that's you. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This I will do. Again, you, you look at that and you just go, we, we've got to get more faith for this. We, we've got to get a revelation of this. I mean, this, this, it's right there in front of us. But we're, we're content without miracles. We're content without the supernatural. We've got to get out of that. That's complacency. <laughs> Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Another. And this another means another of the same kind. Now there's two different words for another. One means another of a different kind, heteros and alos. Another helper. This is another of the same kind. Who will be with you forever? even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. This is the world. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So he's with them and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. Now that, that happens on Pentecost, right? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you. He said, I'm not going to leave you like, like orphans in the world with nobody to care for them. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Here is the great in teaching. All this beautiful doctrine of Paul about being in Christ, all of this begins here with Jesus. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Now, that's amazing. Reveal myself. So there are revelations promised for those who 
have the commandments and keep because that shows love. All right, so when you you know and obey, that demonstrates love. That demonstrates love for Jesus. And the fruit of that is a manifestation of his presence. The ma- that would be what we call, what I've been calling you in the Old Testament, theophanies, physical manifestations of the presence of God. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourselves to us, not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and the Father will love him. And we, Father and Son, will come to him and make our home with him. Not a guest, home. There's a difference. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now notice, does not keep my words. People who walk in disobedience to Jesus, they don't love Jesus. They may say they do. They may love the idea of Jesus. You know, I looked at a young man one time and I said, you know, I watch how you treat this girl. And I said, do you love her? Or do you just love the idea of having a girlfriend? And it really shocked him. He said, Pastor, I've always wanted a girlfriend. I said, yes, but the goal is not a girlfriend. The goal is to love someone. Now, there is a difference between loving the idea of something and loving someone. When you love God, you obey God. You keep his words. And James tells us the same thing. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit is a teacher. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. So, all right, we go all the way back to verse 1, okay? Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You've heard me say, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has no claim on me. Satan is the ruler of this world. And he has no claim on Jesus. There's no sin. There's no sin in Jesus. Satan has no claim on Jesus. Jesus is the spotless lamb. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise. Let us go from here. Now, beloved... Can we say the same thing? I do what the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. You see, folks, when we, when we live in compromise, when we live in disobedience, when we live in carnal Christianity, we're not showing the world that we love God. Please, obey him. That shows your love for him. 
All right. Just a little bit more as we close out today with the book of Proverbs, chapter 24. Now, this, this is a funny passage, all right? He said, I passed by the field of a sluggard. That's a lazy person. By the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. No maintenance. No maintenance. So a manifestation of lazy is no maintenance. You see a man who can't polish his shoes, lazy. You see a man who doesn't fix the roof of his house so that the water doesn't come in when rains come, lazy. You see a person who doesn't keep their car clean, lazy. Overgrown with thorns, covered with nettles, stone wall broken down. They did no maintenance. They just wanted to take out of something without maintaining it. Now, brothers and sisters, that's a manifestation of laziness. Don't Those of you who own companies, um, you know, you always do credit checks on people before you hire them. Maybe you sh should have the person also look at their house. Maybe you should walk out to their car with them after the interview if they're, they're that level. Walk out and look at their car. Is it maintained? How often do you, you get your car checked? How often do you change the oil of your car? Little questions on maintenance reveal the truth of a lazy heart. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Now I want you to notice. Poverty is attracted to lazy. Poverty is a spiritual force. Want is a spiritual force. Now notice, want is like an armed man. Want will steal what you have. Now you have to understand, poverty is a spiritual force. Want is a spiritual force. They will come upon you like robbers. They will come upon you like armed men because you're lazy. Now, please forgive me, and, and I know what I'm going to say is not popular, but it's not my job to be popular. It's my job to be pastor. You know, there are people that want to make fun because I teach you hard work. I teach you not to be one tamad. There are, are people who want to teach you to work the four-hour work week. There are people that want to teach you to work, you know, you should never work more than eight hours a day. But you know what? Can you show me an eight-hour workday in the Bible? They worked from sunrise to sunset. And the Proverbs 31 woman, even after it got dark, she's still working in her house. Now, brothers and sisters, this lockdown has made people take a lot of naps. <laughs> okay. This lockdown has, I'm sorry, made sleepy people and made lazy people. Wrong habits have been created. That's part of that complacency I preached about last Sunday. There comes a point in time where you just work. You just work. 
you just work, okay? When Sister Bev and I were first starting out, uh, we were traveling as evangelists, and we didn't have any bookings for like almost a month one time during the summer. And I would get up every morning, and I had a little office in this little place that we were renting. I mean, it was it was hollow blocks and and pieces of wood, okay, and that was that was my library. And my my desk was you know a card table with the legs folded out, a chair in front of it. But that's what we had. And I would get up every morning and study and write sermons. Even though I had no place to preach them. Why? If you work, God will provide. Ah. If you work, God will provide. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Poverty and want come and will steal everything that you already have. You know, notice what you already have. It takes away. Poverty takes away. Want takes away what you already have. Now, you know, you, you can listen to the lazy if you want and see how they end their life. Or you can look at hardworking people and see how they end their life. Ah, you see, folks, life is not a sprint. Life is a marathon. And sometimes you look at somebody who can sprint real fast and you want to be like them, but you don't realize they can't keep that up long term. Ah, look at long term life. Where are these people? What have they built with their life versus who are these people and what have they not built with their life? Now, I know that's kind of a negative thing to end on today, but I want you to notice I saw, I considered, I looked. I received instruction. Sometimes you got to sit down and think about this truth a little bit. And let's get to work. Hard work never hurt anybody. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock, as we get back into the Book of Romans.